of Genesis, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. Um, God created everything. He created the planet. He then created the animals. He filled that earth. Uh, animals and birds and fish, just all kinds of things teeming on planet earth. And it says then that he created man, and he created man in his own image. And, and he had made this garden that he placed man in, and man had this incredible relationship with God. Uh, the Bible says that they walked together in the garden, but then something happened. Both Adam and Eve became convinced that somehow God was holding back on them, that, that God wasn't giving them the whole story. You, be, you see, the serpent said, um, why is God not allowing you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, I'm going to here to tell you that the reason he's not is because he knows that if you do, you'll become like him. And Adam and Eve believed the lie, and they ate of the fruit of that tree. They sinned, they disobeyed, and, and they immediately felt shame. They were afraid of God, not in a reverent way, but in a fearful way from that point on. And they were cast out of the garden, and life got tough. Work, which they were doing already in the garden, became toilsome and hard. Childbirth became incredibly difficult and painful. Their relationship with God was fractured, and every single person since that moment experiences a fractured life with God. All of us here this morning, we experience a fractured life with God because we all sin. And the only way for there to be peace and reconciliation in that relationship was for there to be a perfect sacrifice. And that's what we're here this morning to celebrate, the sacrifice that Jesus made. And in fact, Jesus was the only one who could make the perfect sacrifice because it had to be just that. It had to be from a perfect person, and that counts all of us out of the equation, all of humanity. Oh, now, many people for thousands of years have tried to earn their way to salvation. In fact, Christianity is the only world religion that recognizes the truth of that fact that we can't earn our way to heaven. Like the, the man that died, and, and he went to heaven, and he appeared before uh, Peter met him at the pearly gates, and Peter said, all right, let me tell you how this works. He said, um, it, it, it takes 100 points to get into heaven, and uh, you tell me all the good things, list all the good things that, that you have done, and, and I will assign points to those, and, and if you get to 100, you can get into heaven. So the man's like, okay, I got this, I got this. He said, uh, the first thing is, I was, I was married to the same woman for 50 years, and I never cheated on her one time, and I loved her deeply in my heart. And Peter said, okay, that's, that's good, that's worth two points. And the guy's like, whoa, wait a minute, only two? Well, well okay, um, he said, I, I attended church faithfully every week, and I gave of my money, and I gave of my time in helping with ministry. And, and Peter's like, fantastic, that's worth a point. And then the guy gulped and swallowed hard, and he said, okay, okay. Um, well, I, I started a soup kitchen in my town, and, and I fed the homeless, and, and I did this constantly. And Peter's like, okay, okay. You know, that's worth a couple points. And the guy, just in exasperation, throws up, his, throws, up his, throws up his hands and he says, at this rate, it's only by the grace of God that I'm going to get into heaven. Yes, exactly. It's the only way. It's the only way. The Bible is very clear on that. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. And for all of us here this morning, what, what we're hearing today is a gift that God offers each and every 
one of us. So Jesus, the only one able to live a perfect life, died in our place. He, he died and he rose again over 2,000 years ago. But what he did, he did for all people who would believe, those before and those after the actual historical event of Jesus dying and rising again from the dead. So I want you to consider this morning the reality that you were there. You see, long before the crucifixion, God told Isaiah what was going to happen in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of it all. Think of the words in there. For our transgressions, our iniquities... Our punishment that we deserved. Uh, We, like sheep, we've gone astray. We've become prideful and sinful. We've turned to our own way. Uh, Iniquity again. And what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus, a week before he was crucified, rode into Jerusalem in a humble way, and people were praising him at that time. They were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. And that, that night, Jesus ate the Last Supper with his disciples and, and later commanded us that we, would, we should remember his sacrifice that, that he made for us by, by the bread representing his broken body and the cup, the juice, the wine representing the blood that he shed. You know, Jesus then posed a question for all of us. He fulfilled prophecies and uh, that foretold the Messiah, the one that would come and save his people from their sin, and people have a decision to make. We all have a decision to make here this morning. Was Jesus who he said he was? Was he God? Was he the Savior of the world? Or was he just a crazy man lying and deceiving those he convinced to follow him? Well, he was Lord. And there's evidence that shows this. He was tried unfairly as depicted in here. A a crown of thorns was placed on his head, and, and he was beat and tortured, and then he was nailed to a Roman cross of death. And then three days later, that tomb opened up and Jesus arose from the dead. Now, I, I want you to remember that Jesus was just as, uh, as subject to the historical method that any one of us are. Uh, you see, Jesus was born. Uh, he grew up. Uh, he lived with other people. He was a public figure. People saw him every day. And people knew who he was, just like people know who you are. And people can testify to the fact that, that you're alive. Um, uh, later on in the message, I'm going to talk a little bit about my grandfather. I can, I can tell you that my grandfather was a real person and that he really lived in life because I saw him. And there were people that saw Jesus. In fact, after Jesus rose from the dead, over 500 people saw him alive. And, and the writings that we're looking at here this morning, these were written within the first generation of, of Jesus' resurrection. So there were people living at that time who could say, no, that's not right, that's not true. And, and if that was the case, these documents would not have survived. In fact, the whole city of Jerusalem knew about Jesus rising from the dead. I would guess the entire Roman world knew of Jesus rising from the dead. In fact, if CNN had been around, they would have carried it live probably. It would have been on all the 24-hour news channels. And, and think about this. If there had been video capability in Jesus' time, okay, we would be able to look back 
at those clips on YouTube, you could search Jesus Christ Alive, and you could find it, and you could see for yourself that he actually was real. One account of this is found in John chapter 20, and if you brought your Bible this morning, I would encourage you to turn to John chapter 20. If you don't, don't despair. It'll be up here on the screen. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, it's John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple, they run to check it out and they confirm Mary's report. The tomb is empty and and they're wondering, has somebody stolen it? Has it been moved? Um, And And they still don't quite get what Jesus said about him having to rise. And we know this is true because in verse 9, it says they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then it happens in verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, it is you. You are alive. She recognizes it's Jesus. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So we were there. You were there. You see, Jesus died for all of our sins, all of our iniquities, all people for all time. That's your sin and that's my sin. Our sin was there when the weight of the cross overcame Jesus and he cried, it is finished. It was your sin. You were there. He knew you like your husband or your wife knows you even more. Now, here's the thing. I want to tell you a little bit, a a, a story. Uh, This is the second reason why I think we were there or, or at least... It's like we were there. Is the fact that all of the people that were around Jesus, they were red-blooded human beings just like you and just like me. Um, maybe from a different culture, but, but they breathe the same air as we do. And, and I want to tell you a little story. When, when I was younger, um, I worked on the farm, and my dad told me to go do something with the tractor, and, and I kind of, you know, I, I didn't always succeed at everything that I did in farming, and uh, actually that wasn't me. Um, I feel sorry for the guy who, who did that. Um, if it had been a John Deere, I'm not sure what would have happened there. Um, this actually is what I want to show you this morning, um, and this isn't the exact one. This is a, a stand-in bumper. Is that blinding anybody? Are we okay? When I was first learning to drive, actually it had probably been a few years, I think I was 12, you know the whole farm driving thing, right? 
Um, I was 12, and Mom had sent me out to the garage to back the car out of the garage, and so I did. But in backing the car out of the garage, I got a little bit too close to the right-hand side of the garage, and this edge of the bumper caught the rail on the garage door, and of course, I'm not looking, I'm not thinking, and before I could push the brake, I had backed clear out of the garage and drugged the right side of the garage with me. Now, I am mortified over this thing. I mean, this could be my first automobile accident ever. And my mom says, well, you need to go tell your dad. Now, my dad wasn't a violent man. In fact, he was one of the most patient men I know. Um, I made him that way. Um, So I wasn't afraid to tell him because of what I thought he was going to do. I was afraid to tell him because I had somehow failed him. I, I had somehow not quite met the mark. And, and, and I was really nervous. Mom, mom drove up to my grandpa's where my dad was, and uh, I got out of the car, and there was my dad and my grandpa standing in the yard, and I, I went up to my dad, and my hands were shaking. I'm sure my knees were knocking, and, and my dad's, of course, kind of standing over me because I'm only 12, and, and, and I told him, I'm like, Dad, I, I kind of screwed up the garage, and maybe the car too, and uh, I'm, I'm waiting for his response, and be, before dad could respond, my grandfather pipes in, and, and he looks at me, and, and I can remember him referring to me this way sometimes, my grandpa says, oh, little David, he says, little David, you know what, I remember one time, and he looked at my dad, and he said, when a little boy about your same age did exactly the same thing. Hallelujah! <laughs> and, and so I get this bit of a reprieve, and my grandpa was just that way, and so was my father. Just very patient, very loving, and, and as I said, um, I gave my dad plenty of opportunities growing up on the farm to be patient um, and to fix things that I broke. But, but here's the point. Um, God, God treats us the same way as my grandfather and my father did. You see, he, he knew that there were going to be other damaged bumpers. He, he knew that there were going to be other things. And that me growing up to maturity was a process. It, it, it was a journey. And, and God treats us the same way. That's the great news that we hear this morning. He is loving and he is patient. And he wants to forgive and save every last one of us. And just as my grandpa could look back and help me see the present in light of something that happened in the past, we too can look back in the past and we can see the truth for our present. And that's what I want us to do this morning. Again, um, I'm going to describe to you some people that were there. They were eyewitnesses. They saw Jesus. I want to first mention Matthew. Matthew was there. Before Jesus called Matthew as one of his disciples, Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was a Jew, and he was a tax collector. He was a Jew collecting taxes for the Romans. He was hated by his fellow Jews. They despised him. He was a traitor. He was a turncoat. And not only that, but in order for a tax collector to earn his wage, he had to overcharge people and then skim off the top. They did not like him. The religious leaders of the day referred to him and others as sinners and tax collectors. And and I want to ask you this morning, do you have someone in your life like that? Do you have someone in 
in your life who, who is far from God, maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe, maybe you, as you look over your own life, you think, man, I honestly, if I'm honest with myself, I'm, I'm just really far away from God. Well, here's the crazy thing. God chose Matthew. Jesus, Jesus called Matthew while he was still sitting behind the table of the tax collector booth. While he was still a sinner, God said, Matthew, come, follow me. And you know what Matthew did? He got up and he followed Jesus. You see, Jesus redeemed Matthew. You see, Jesus conquered death for Matthew. Uh, Let's talk about Mary Magdalene. Mary was there. Uh, Mary, before she met Jesus, that we know from Scripture, was possessed by a total of seven demons. Now, I've never been around anybody that's been possessed by a demon, so I don't exactly know, but I'm, I'm sure her life was not good. I'm sure the decisions and the choices that she was making were, were far from honest ones. She probably didn't think too highly of herself either. That was Mary Magdalene, of course, before she met Jesus. You see, Jesus cast those demons out. You see, Jesus saved Mary. He forgave Mary of her sins, and Mary became a follower to the end, to the end and the kind of re-beginning of Jesus as we celebrate here this morning. You see, Jesus redeemed Mary. Jesus conquered death for Mary. There was a thief on a cross next to Jesus. He was a criminal. He had been found guilty of his crimes, and he was sentenced to death. Now, I don't know if his punishment was crazy over the top or if that was appropriate for him, but what I do know is that while on the cross, this thief recognized that Jesus was who Jesus said he was. And and he debated with the other thief on the cross. And he said, no, this is the Son of God. And what did Jesus do after the thief made that declaration? He showed compassion to him. He forgave him and he said this. It's recorded in Luke 23, 43. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus redeemed the thief. Jesus conquered death for the thief. There were also these two brothers. They were disciples of Jesus. We find this in Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That just seems a bit presumptive to me. Now, here's what they asked. It, it's later on in the passage. Mark 10, 37. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. When you get to heaven, Jesus, and, and, and we get to heaven, we want to sit on either side of you. Yeah, I know you say you're God and all of that, but we think that'd be a cool thing, right? I, I'm just trying to imagine this conversation and what they're thinking. The pride, the arrogance, that they would even expect him to to grant this wish that they have. They, They want to be in control of their destiny. Maybe that's you here this morning. You want to be in charge of your life. You want to make the decisions. You want to do what you want to do. You want to call the shots. You want Jesus to do what you want him to do. Well, you know what? This is an amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus was very patient and loving with James and John. He taught them through this. He didn't yell at them. He didn't condemn them. 
he, he really said, ultimately, he's like, guys, to be honest with you, you have no idea what you're even asking. And he goes on to explain some other things. Well, maybe that's you here this morning. Jesus redeemed James and John. He led them in the way of maturity. Jesus conquered death for James and John. Then there was Thomas. Anybody know anything about Thomas? What was his nickname? Doubting Thomas. Oh, Doubting Thomas. Um, He walked with Jesus just like the rest. He saw Jesus do miracles. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus feed the 5,000. Over and over and over and over again, he saw Jesus do amazing things. And then when the disciples come to him and say, we've seen Jesus alive. He's risen from the dead. Thomas just can't believe it. This is in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I need physical evidence, Thomas said, or I'm not going to believe it. Really, Thomas? You've been walking with these guys for three years. You've seen Jesus do miracles for three years, and you're doubting this? Maybe that's you here this morning. You've heard the story of Jesus' resurrection for years. Maybe you have a family member who talks about Jesus a lot, and you just can't buy it. You just can't believe it. Well, you know what Jesus did? It continues in John chapter 20, verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus redeemed Thomas. See, Jesus conquered death. Thomas. And then the last person I want to talk about is Peter. Talk about tearing up the garage with the bumper. He did it often, stuck his foot in his mouth lots. I think of all the disciples, it seems like Peter had the furthest to go. But yet, Peter, Jesus said, Peter, it's upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus was committed to the process. You see, I thought as I read through the Gospels, I thought leading up to the Garden of Gethsemane that, that Peter was in, that, that, that Peter was sold out. In fact, Peter says, Lord, I will follow you to my death. And what happens? Peter, when confronted with the knowledge of knowing Jesus in the courtyard as Jesus is being tried and, and brutalized, Peter denies even knowing Jesus. In fact, he calls curses down by the third time and says, I didn't even know him that kind of seems like the ultimate failure doesn't it 
He's seen Jesus' miracles. He's lived with him. He knows who Jesus is. Yet he was afraid. He, he got fearful for his life and he backtracked. And I wonder if there's anyone here this morning who might be afraid. Maybe you have backtracked. Maybe, maybe you, were, you were a part of a church at one time and, and you got your feelings hurt or you got afraid and you, and you backed off. Maybe you have even gone to the point of denying Jesus in front of your friends. Well, here's the great news. Jesus didn't condemn Peter. He, he didn't give up on Peter at all. And in fact, we, we see Jesus in, in one account reinstating Peter. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I do. And Jesus again, a second time, says, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I do. And a third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And by this time, I think Peter was maybe getting a little exasperated. He's like, Lord, yes, I do. And as I look back at that, I think he denied him three times as Jesus just is making sure, Peter, look, it's okay, I forgive you. And then Peter became one of the most um, effective missionaries of his day. You see, Jesus redeemed Peter. You see, Jesus conquered death for Peter. Now, this is one of those things about the Bible that makes me believe that it's true, and that's that all throughout Scripture, we see these stories of the guys who are writing it, where they're like screwing up. I mean, if I'm writing a story about myself, I'm not going to include some of those things, right? I mean, you, you just wouldn't. You, you, I think people that, that want to write a myth or, or want to write something that's sort of fantasy, they're, they're not going to write them. Are, were they sitting around the table and it's like, all right, um, doubting Thomas kind of, kind of rhymes, so we're going to make Thomas, he's going to be the doubter, and, and Peter's going to be the guy that's going to deny Jesus. I mean, if I was writing fiction, I wouldn't write that in there. You see, the Bible is true. And these people that I've talked to were humans just like us. Again, if, if there were cameras, we would have pictures of them. They walked the earth just like you and I. They failed just like you and I. If they had cars and garage doors, one of them would have backed out of the garage and pulled the side of the door out. Matthew. Who, who do you relate to this morning? Who do you relate to this morning? Is it Matthew? Is it Mary? Is it James and John? Is it the thief? Is it Thomas? Is it Peter? Now, I believe that Jesus is calling all of us. He calls us to respond. He, he calls us to, to make a response. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Does anybody in here not want to see the kingdom of God? Jesus says, you can't see it unless you're born again. And then he describes what this being born again means in, in, chapter, in verse 14 of John chapter 3. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. You see, there was a time back in the Old Testament where 
Moses was leading the people, and, and everybody just, this, this plague started going through the whole, the whole lot. And, and people were dying left and right. And, and Moses was like, what should I do? And, and God, thinking ahead or wanting to show them what was going to happen in the future, says, Moses, lift up a snake on a staff and have the people look at that. And when they do, and, and they believe on, that on looking upon that snake, they will be healed, they will be healed. And, and Jesus is using that same illustration. If we look to Jesus, who was wide, arms wide open on the cross, and now, having risen from the dead, his arms wide open to you here this morning, to put your faith and belief in him, to make that choice to follow him, you will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Jesus was lifted on the cross and he bids you to come. He's calling you to respond. To respond in faith. So so what now? I want you to think about those characters, and I hope you have as, you've, as I've gone through them. Maybe you relate the most with Mary Magdalene and the, the thief on the cross. Maybe, maybe you have never responded to the call of Jesus on your life. You have never said, Jesus, I believe. Uh, and, and maybe just this morning, uh, maybe it's just clicked today for the first time. And you're, you're thinking in your head, I, I get it. I get it. I, I, and, and I want to surrender my life to Jesus right here this morning. I would ask you just to close your eyes and to talk to Jesus. Tell him that you know that you can't save yourself, but that, that it's only through him that you can be saved. Tell him you know and believe that he is the Messiah and that he died for you. Ask him to forgive your sin and, to sur- and, and surrender the rest of your life to him. Because you know what? Jesus redeemed you. Jesus died and conquered death for you. Maybe you relate the most to Matthew. You have been leading a dishonest life. Maybe you feel like the chief of all sinners. And and you just can't believe that Jesus could forgive you or that he would even want to. But here's the thing. Of course he would want to. Of course you have value. He gave his life for you. There is no greater thing that anyone can give than their life. And we know that while Matthew was yet sitting at the tax collection table, Jesus called him. I believe Jesus is calling you here this morning. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He is calling you. Would you answer his call just like Matthew did? You see, Matthew got up and followed Jesus. Won't you get up and follow Jesus too? Because Jesus died to redeem you. Jesus conquered death for you. Maybe you relate to the prideful brothers. You have demanded and demanded of Jesus and have never been satisfied because he just doesn't seem to do things the way you want him to. That was me at a period of time in my own life. And and maybe as you sit here this morning, you, you have or you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior When I went through that period of time in my own life, I had trusted Jesus, and I just didn't quite get it. 
I was pretty arrogant, pretty prideful in who I was myself. And I wasn't recognizing how much I needed Jesus. See, he gave his life for me. Maybe your bumper is damaged as you sit here this morning and you need it fixed. Jesus wants to fix it. Jesus wants to forgive and he wants to heal. And maybe today is that day when you begin to humble yourself before him and say, Lord, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I need you. I need you. Take control of my life. Let, let, let those things that you're trying to control, let them go to him. Surrender them to Jesus. Or maybe you're like doubting Thomas. You've heard for years about Jesus, but you just can't seem to cross the threshold of belief. Well, if you continue to doubt, you're here. You're here this morning. So, so I'm left to believe that, that you're seeking him still. So I want to encourage you to continue asking questions. You see, Jesus didn't just blow off Thomas. What did Jesus do for Thomas? He answered his questions. He showed him. He showed him his hands and his feet. Now, I, I would love to talk to you more about this. You know, and, and I, I like to think that I'm a pretty reasonable guy when it comes to conversations and answering people's questions and and, and if you were to, to write on your Connect card this morning, um, there's one of those boxes that says, I have questions, I'd like to talk to someone, I'd love to sit down with coffee and just hear your questions and hear your struggles. Maybe there's hurt you just can't seem to overcome, but this is very important. This has eternal ramifications. It's just not for today. It's just not for the last 20 years of your, your life. It's for eternity and maybe you would be as bold enough to write on your connect card i have questions maybe there's a dozen people here this morning and we can all get together we could start a we could call it a skeptic small group and and we could just look through the bible and see what it has to say about jesus and answer questions would you take that step this morning and finally maybe you're more like peter you were following jesus but something happened you know what that is. I, I don't. You got scared or you got hurt. And maybe you've been denying him like Peter in, in a way. I'm telling you, Jesus is calling you. You're here this morning because Jesus is calling to you. And I want you to answer him. Return to him. His arms are open wide. He's bidding you to come. He will forgive. He will pur purify he will build you up. And then finally, I want to I end with this verse right here. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It says this, I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. He wants us to understand he wants us to believe, and He wants us to be reconciled to Him. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead can give you power in your life, can help you to believe, can help you to, to not be fearful and not doubt. That very same power that unlocked the tomb and raised Jesus from the dead is available today to every human being that would respond in faith.
And I would ask you, no matter which character you resonate with here this morning, know that in, in many ways, them, you being just like them, as you look at their life and how they dealt with things, it's as if you were there. Because Jesus died to redeem you. Jesus conquered death for you. Now, I'm going to pray, and the worship team's going to come out. I'm not asking you to come forward or anything like that today, but take that Connect card out and, and take a quick look at it. And, and there's a couple statements on there. If, if, if you, like Mary and the thief, believed for the first time, would you mark that on there? Put your name and your phone number, your address, let us know. We're not going to solicit you. We're not going to send you just all sorts of mailings. Um, but, but would you let us know? We'd like to encourage you. We'd like to send you at least a book that you could read that could help you understand more. There's a couple other ones. There's, there's, uh, there's especially the one about having a conversation. Your hands might be trembling just like mine were when I told my dad about what happened with the bumper. But would you do that? It's really important. And then as our ushers come and they take up this morning's, uh, this morning's offering that helps to support our ministry in southeast Wyoming and throughout the world, and it also helps cover costs for, for this thing. And if, if, if you're led, um, just give what you're led to give this morning. And there's also one mark on there that says, He is risen, He is risen indeed. If you've been inspired this morning to worship the risen Savior just a bit more, if you would mark that. Place them in the basket. Make sure that you check out the table. Ladies, um, get information on apples of gold. There'll be a couple of those apples of gold ladies. They won't look like apples of gold, but um, you'll find them out there at the information table. There's information about the church on stands out there. But again, more importantly, this day isn't about North Hills. It's about Jesus Christ. And that he died and rose again for you. And that each and every one of us individually has a decision to make. And my prayer is that you would decide to follow this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Father, I want to commit each person to you here this morning and Lord, there's so many different messages that we hear in life today and Satan is hard at work, hard at work to distract us and keeping us from making the most important decision that we could ever make in our life and ask to surrender our life to you. Father, I pray that, that if there are questions, if there are doubts, Lord, pray that you would provide those answers. There are people here this morning who have been hurt. Father, I pray that this would be the beginning or the continuation of their healing. Oh Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving us and for caring for us. In Jesus' name, amen.